Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. El Chapo's trial has been underway since November 13th, and it's unlike anything I've ever seen or heard. For the first time ever, the public is getting this unfiltered view of how Chapo ran his faction of the Sinaloa cartel. The witnesses have included some of the most powerful drug lords in Mexico and Colombia. And they just dropped bombshell after bombshell. They're talking about how tens of thousands of pounds of drugs have made their way from South America to Mexico to the streets of American cities. We've heard how the cartel did business by corrupting every level of the Mexican government. There have been so many big revelations from just the first couple of months that it's more than we have time to talk about here today. But the trial, of course, is part of the story that we've been telling, so we're going to do two extra episodes that are basically just conversations about what's been going on. Every day, the courtroom is packed, and not just with the press. Lately, there have been more and more tourists who just want to come see the spectacle and get a look at El Chapo in the flesh. The security is crazy intense from the moment you arrive at the courthouse. The authorities are taking every precaution to make sure Chapo doesn't escape again. We've got bomb-sniffing dogs and even radiation detectors to make sure nobody brings a dirty bomb into the building. There aren't any cameras, phones, or tape recorders allowed inside the courtroom, so we can't play you any testimony from the witnesses. But since I've been there almost every day, in this episode we're going to touch on the basics of what's happened so far and talk about a couple of the more interesting witnesses who we've heard from. Miguel Angel Vega was on the road when we went into the studio, so our producer Jesse Alejandro Cottrell sat in with me. Hey, Keegan. What's up, Jesse? So I've been following the trial a bit, but you've been going to the trial almost every day since it started, so I just wanted to ask you some questions about it. I guess let's start with the opening statements. How did this trial begin? So it starts like every other criminal case. There's opening statements by the government and by the defense. They both, both sides lay out their cases for the jury. The government was pretty straightforward. They the prosecutor who delivered the opening statement boiled it down to three things. That was money, drugs, and murder. Those are sort of the three pillars that the government's case is going to be made on. And they essentially told the jury, this man, Chapo Guzman, is the biggest drug lord on the planet. He's the leader of a global narcotics trafficking empire. On the flip side, the defense wanted to cast doubt on what the government is saying and saying, Chapo, you know, we're not going to argue that he's totally innocent here, but he's not who he's being made out to be. I mean, what's it like in the courtroom? What's it like seeing Chapo? How does he act? Every day when Chapo walks in, it's it's the main event of the courtroom. Everybody's waiting for that moment when he's led in by U.S. Marshals. He's wearing a Hugo Boss suit of some kind. He's usually either looking at his wife, trying to make eye contact with her, blowing kisses at her, or he's locked on to the witness, whoever's testifying against him. Have you ever locked eyes with them? There was one time when I had my back turned to the courtroom and I was just making small talk with Chapo's wife. And I could see her looking over my shoulder and I looked back and it was clear that Chapo had been trying to catch her attention, but she was talking to me. And that was when I got the Chapo stare down. And he's got like a full bore, like this man used to stare people down and intimidate them, you know, as his livelihood. And I was getting that for a moment and it was you know, a, like a panic, like, what should I do? Am I in trouble? 
then you're just like, wait a minute, this guy is in prison. There's nothing that he can do. But it's still still nerve wracking, even though you know he can't he can't do anything about it. What are they charging him with, and what does he face as a potential punishment because of those charges? There's a whole range of charges, um, mostly related to cocaine smuggling, uh, meth smuggling, heroin smuggling. Um, there's some firearm charges, but the most serious charge is running a continuing criminal enterprise. It essentially, he's on trial for leading the Sinaloa cartel. And if he's convicted, he faces a minimum of life in prison. Maybe this is obvious, but the defense is essentially claiming that all of that this is completely wrong. I mean, what is how are they approaching these charges? So the defense is in a tough place here because they can't really with a straight face say this guy is completely innocent. Like he's he's been set up. He's not a drug dealer at all. And in some of their their cross-examination of witnesses, they've seemed to concede like, look, yes, our guy was involved in drug trafficking, but not to the degree that the government says he is. The biggest argument the defense has made is casting doubt on the cooperating witnesses who are being called to testify. There's at least 16 of these people, and they're all former high-level cartel people who've been caught, extradited, and are now testifying in exchange for leniency in their own cases. Chapo's lawyer, Jeff Flickman, in his opening statement, called these people gutter human beings. He said, he told the jury, they're people who will make your skin crawl. And what he meant by that is, I think, in some cases, these are literal murderers, like people who have either pulled the trigger themselves or ordered hits, had people killed, shipped hundreds of tons of cocaine into the U.S., um, people who were criminals their entire lives, and telling the jury, you can't necessarily believe what these, these guys are saying, even if the government is telling you, look, we know that these are bad guys, but they've promised to tell the truth as part of their plea agreement. The prosecution's already called several witnesses to the stand to prove that Chapo is the kingpin they're making him out to be. Some of them have been really effective. Some of them the defense has made out to be monsters in their own right. Let's start out by talking about Pedro Flores, one of the Flores twins, who we heard about in episode eight of this podcast. How did Pedro do on the stand? Pedro Flores was perhaps the most compelling witness for the government, in part because he was so unlike all of the other cooperators who have testified so far. Mostly, most notably, in the eyes of the jury, is he spoke English. Pedro, as we detailed in episode 8, and his brother were at the very top of the pyramid, right beneath Chapo and Mayo. And so they had an intimate knowledge of the organization, how they got cocaine from Colombia to Mexico, how that cocaine was smuggled across the border, how it got to Chicago, and then how it was distributed across the entire United States. So another one of the witnesses who most intrigued me because of his insider status in the Sinaloa cartel was Ray Zambada. Who is Ray? Ray Zambada is uh, Jesus Zambada Garcia. He is the younger brother of El Mayo Zambada, Chapo's partner in the Sinaloa cartel. Ray uh, is R-E-Y, as in the Spanish word for king, was a very interesting witness. He was the first cooperator who was called to testify by the government. How did Ray Zambada end up getting involved? I think he said he joined the cartel sometime in the late 80s. He got an accounting degree in college and was working as an accountant. And he said he lost his job because his his boss found out that his brother was the drug trafficker, Mayo Zambada. So at that point, Mayo says, hey, come work for me. You can keep my books. Ray, as Mayo's brother, you know, takes on an integral role in the organization. Eventually, he's overseeing uh, the Mexico City Plaza or the, the Mexico City territory for the cartel. Uh, He controls a warehouse where hundreds and hundreds of tons of cocaine uh, are passing through. He is in charge of bribing uh, officials in Mexico City and just described 
incredible levels of corruption at every level of the Mexican government, $300,000 in bribes a month, and that Chapo and Mayo would dole out $500,000 payments to higher-level people that he wasn't involved in. But so help me understand, why exactly are Ray and Mayo so important in the context of the trial? In the opening statement, the defense made such a big deal about El Chapo's relationship with El Mayo, saying that El Mayo is really the head of the cartel and that Chapo is basically a fall guy who Mayo has set up to, to take the blame and take the spotlight. So right out the gate, the government says, oh, we're going to call Mayo's brother and see what he has to say about it. And his description was essentially Chapo and Mayo were partners. But not every witness has been as mild-mannered as Ray Zambada, who was uh, essentially an accountant who paid bribes. Some of the witnesses called to the stand were kingpins in their own right, people who probably should have been as famous as El Chapo. Uh, one of these witnesses was Chupeta. Tell me about him. Chupeta is Juan Carlos Ramirez Abadia, who was a leader of Colombia's Norte del Valle cartel, which sort of came out of the, the collapse of the Cali cartel and the Medellin cartel in the Pablo Escobar era. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, how Chu, about Chupeta's uh, interesting aspect? Chupeta eventually had to become a fugitive and leave Colombia. He was on the run. And while he was trying to evade capture, Chupeta had to change his face. He underwent multiple plastic surgeries. He had lip implants. He had surgery done to his cheekbones, to his chin, hair implants, changed his eyes. Uh, so now he looks almost like a caricature. And and then he's, I mean, he was also involved in, like, just himself personally in, like, lots of killing, right? Or ordering lots of he, killing. He admitted to uh, being involved in at least 150 murders. Um, most of those were killings that he ordered uh, people who worked for him to commit. But in a handful of cases, those were killings that he was personally involved in. He said that he shot somebody in the face at close range in one case. Um, some of those murders occurred in the United States. Uh, there were f- at least four killings in the New York City area um, where people who were somehow involved in Chupeta's organization who were suspected of stealing or snitching who were killed uh, by cartel hitmen in the, the 90s. He s- described meeting Chapo for the first time in the early 90s, I think it was. And he says he was introduced to Chapo through El Mayo and they met at a hotel in Mexico City. And... At the time, Chupeta was paying a percentage per shipment to get his cocaine from Colombia uh, into the United States with the help of Mexicans. They would pay them in product. Normally, the rate was, I think, 35%, but Chapo charged 40%, which was higher than everybody else. And Chupeta's like, why would I pay you more? He says, I'm, I'm faster. I'm the best. I can get your product into the United States quicker than anybody else. Chupeta says, sure, I'll pay you your higher rate. Sure enough, his cocaine is in the U.S. within a week after it arrives in Mexico, which was, Chupeta said, record time, which has held Chapo supposedly earned his nickname El Rapido, the fast one. The defense kind of looked at Chupeta as someone who exemplified this idea of their, like, gutter human being. Like, what what was their point? Or I got, what, how did they talk about Chupeta? Well, I mean, Chupeta, as we, we've heard, he's, he's involved in at least 150 murders, t- hundreds and hundreds of tons of cocaine. In some senses... Chapo is only the middleman who's distributing Chupeta's cocaine in the United States. So when Chupeta was captured in Brazil, he was extradited to the United States on the condition that he not receive a life sentence because Brazil doesn't sentence people to life in prison. So they're not going to extradite someone who can get a sentence and it's worse than their own countries. 
So the most time that Chupetsu could get in prison is 30 years. He could be released uh, after 25 years. If you do the math, which Chapo's lawyer did for the jury, say this guy admitted to being involved in at least 150 murders. If he only serves 25 years, that works out to roughly 60 days per murder. How is that justice in the U.S. system? How is that right? And I think that resonated a little bit. Certainly everybody who was in the courtroom looked and said, is that right? I had to do the math myself, and it checks out. So that was a phone call that was played during the trial. It came from a wiretap in May of 2010. What you heard was El Chapo's voice. He's in Mexico talking on the phone to a member of the guerrilla group, the FARC, which at the time controlled a lot of the cocaine production in Colombia. Chapo and this guerrilla are haggling over the details of an eight-ton cocaine deal. They're talking about the price, how they're going to get it from Colombia to Ecuador so that they could then ship it on to Mexico by boat. And is that like a smoking gun? In this case, not exactly, um, because the witness who sort of gave the background and explained what was going on there said that the deal didn't go through to his knowledge. However, in a, it's a conspiracy case, so you only have to prove that they were trying to ship the drugs. So yes, it seems like, yeah, I mean, Chapo doesn't explicitly say the words like, sell me eight tons of cocaine, please. But if you read the transcript, it's, it's pretty obvious that he's haggling over you know, I'm going to pay cash for two tons and we'll get the rest on credit and on and on and on where there's not much doubt about what's actually being discussed. Where where are we at right now, Keegan? Like, is is it a, is it a slam dunk? You know, yes. I think at this point we've heard from Colombian suppliers who, who provided Chapa with cocaine. We've heard from the Mexican cartel people, Sinaloa cartel people who work directly for Chapo are familiar with the ins and outs of his organization. We've heard from one of the Flores brothers who was involved in distributing the drugs all around the United States. We've gotten sort of every level of the supply chain. The best case scenario for the defense is a mistrial where they get a hung jury or or something like that where one juror is like, this whole system is corrupt and I can't convict this guy. However, I think with the having the jury sit there for so long, they're all going to be ready to go home at the end of this, and I think we'll get a a fast conviction. I'd be shocked if it's anything other than that. secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.